Martin J. Smith and Willie Elliott. Welcome to episode 7 of the Scottish Poker Podcast. I'm Martin Smith, and unfortunately, my regular co host Willie Elliott was unavailable this month, so you'll have to make do with me for a solo episode, apart from one interview which we recorded together last week. As usual, we'll start with a roundup of tournament results on the Scottish poker scene. That will be followed with a short chat with Rob Franks, who was the first ever double 25 series champion in Scotland. Next, we'll have Jack Maskelon to discuss his recent Sunday Million victory for $175,000. Then we have a chat with a poker dealer at a Glasgow casino as he gets a few things off his chest. Lastly, we'll preview the upcoming tournaments in Scotland over the next month or so and finish with a detailed preview of GPPT Glasgow with our guest Simon Trumper. As always, if you have any feedback or a contribution for the show, please email us on info at scottishpoker.net or call and leave us a voicemail on 0141 Okay, without any further delay, let's fire straight on with the latest tournament results. Yeah, who won this week? Do you want to know? Was it a chop? Or did they play it out? In the next 10 minutes, we will fill you right in with all the information on those tournament things. First up, uh, we'll take a quick look at Aaliyah's monthly tournament in Glasgow, the usual £110 buy-in with 10k guaranteed. In March, that was won by Stuart McNally, a local player, for £3,500. Second there was Roddy McNeil, second for 2300 third Peter Cunningham for 1500 and Paul Clements, fourth for 1000 all the way through to 10 prizes there. They had 105 entries, so just exceeded the guarantee with 10,500. Next up is the 25-25 series um, in Edinburgh in the middle of March. That was won by Rob Franks. Rob is the first two-time 25 series winner in Scotland, so well done to Rob. A very impressive double win there. He took home £11,000 for that victory. They had a bit of a three-way chop. I think they all took home second place, 9,600, and played on for another 1,400 or so in the trophy, which Rob won. His fellow choppers um, and second place man was Derek Leach, and third was Josh Green. Quite a tough final table there, also with the likes of Dean Lyle, Ricky Ewell, Gary Gracie, Andrew Feenan, Ross Logie, and Rico Frateroli, all tournament regulars in Scotland. After that, a couple of weeks later in March, we had the Easter Beast, a Grosvenor Link tournament with day ones at four different Scottish casinos and everyone headed to Dundee for the second day. This was another three-way chop between Stuart McNally, who I've already mentioned um, from Glasgow, 
David Ho, Edinburgh regular player, and Barry Burns, another popular player on the circuit, been playing for quite a long time. They all took home £4,700. That tournament ended up with 234 entries, generating £23,400, so just exceeded by a few thousand the 20k guarantee. Switching back to Glasgow again, we had Genting's GPS Mini on at the Genting Casino on Sucky Hall Street, the first time the, the, the GPS series had visited Glasgow, so it was nice to see that there. The Mini is a smaller event which we discussed on the last episode, you may recall, a 200 plus 20 with 35,000 guarantee. So a bit similar to the 25 series from Grosvenor but with a bigger guarantee there. This is a well attended event with exactly 250 entries, so that generated a 50,000 prize pool exactly. First place was Derek Leach, again who was second in the 25 series in Edinburgh that I just mentioned. He took home 12,550 here for first place. Second was Daniel Crow's report. He took home eight thousand four hundred. Carol Scholes was third for five thousand five hundred. And overall, a very good tournament there. Zigzagging back to Edinburgh once again at Genting Fountain Park this time for the Scottish Poker Championships. That was a one fifty event on the seventeenth of April for for four days. It had three day ones and day two on the Sunday. Excellent attendance of 320 entries, generating 48,000 in the prize pool. Looks like a four-way chop there, and they played on for with a little bit extra for first place in the title, it looks like. The four choppers were Adam Cowley, who was the eventual winner, Cameron Alazadi, GK, who's a well-known player on the Glasgow scene and travels around the country, and John Perkin, a cash game regular from Edinburgh too. Uh, John took 6,220, GK took 6,900, Cameron 6,970 and Adam, the eventual winner, took home a bit more, 8,570 after fighting out for the the trophy there. Once again, back to Glasgow. Uh, This time there was a warm-up event for the GPPT, which is coming up at Hamden in the middle of May. This was a warm-up event. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in the Alia Casino, which is partnering with the GPPT for that event. The warm-up was a, a small one-day evening tournament, 65 plus 5 buy-in, with 10,000 guaranteed. It was very well attended, attracted a lot of people there, had 212 entries, and it worked out really well. Quite a fast turbo structure, but that was uh, what was needed for a, such a large field one-day event, and it, it was a lot of fun to play. I was there myself. And it looks like a heads-up chop in the end. Jamie Anderson and Dave McKee took home £2,865 each. Martin McLachlan, third for £1,510. William Baxter, fourth, £1,170. William Wassell-Brown, £900. All the way down to my good self, who was eighth for £470. Quid. Moving further ashore here, uh, let's take a look how a Scottish player is doing on the international scene. Ludo Gaelic had a good week in March as well. Uh, he First of all, he was in Las Vegas and he played a 1500 event at the Wynn Casino. That was uh, well attended with 499 entries and the, the prize pool $726,000. He ended up winning that. So first out of 499, and he took home $150,662. So well done, Ludo, there. 
just shortly after that, a couple of weeks later, I guess he was staying around in the US and doing a bit of traveling. He was in Los Angeles at the Bike Casino. He played a World Series of Poker Circuit event, another $1,500 buy-in. Um, he was eighth there for $27,000, but it was uh, quite a big final table with uh, the eventual winner, Antonio the Magician Esfandiari. Jamie Gold was second. Bryn Kenny sixth. Uh, so quite a, quite a stacked final table there, and I think he was very unlucky to lose a couple of uh, hands where he was ahead to get knocked out in eighth there at the final. But still another 27000 for the collection. Back at home there was a World Amateur Team Championships which the Scottish team won for £1,800. That team consisted of Ben Burnhill, James Ellis, Tom Clark and Chris Kelly. So well done to the lads there for doing it for Scotland. The last thing we'll mention today is uh, an Edinburgh-based player, Jack Maskell, who did really well in the Sunday Million and managed to take that down in March for $175,000. Not bad for a $215 buy-in. We've got Jack coming up for an interview later in the show. That's all of our tournament results for this episode. We will take a short break and we'll be right back for a quick chat with Robert Franks. joined now by Rob Franks, who lives in Arbroath. Uh, Rob was the first two-time winner of the 25 series in Scotland. Hi, Rob. How are you doing, Martin? Very well, thank you. Uh, I understand uh, you're joining us from Africa at the moment. That is correct. I'm in Freetown, uh, Sierra Leone, on the west coast of Africa. I appreciate um, you calling in from Africa. That's a lot of dedication. No, the pleasure is all mine, being invited onto your podcast. Excellent. Uh, well, first of all, congratulations on your double win. No one else in Scotland has won two 25 series titles. Uh, you got your second one just in March there, the 10th of March at the Maybury in Edinburgh. And your first one was in Dundee, your home casino, May last year, I believe. That is correct, yeah. So you took home 10,000 10, just over for the first win. And this time it was a little bit more, 11,000. Uh, just over that eighty pound over, so two very nice scores, and a, it's been a, a good year for you in the poker sense, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it allows you to to sort of free roll and and play the game properly. So you don't have to worry about money issues uh, and play the game how it should be played. The the Edinburgh tournament, the most recent one, had two hundred and forty eight entries, so just shy of fifty thousand prize pool. A uh, really good turnout there. The 25 series, event, series events are always great in Scotland. They're always well attended by um, people from across the country. I, th- I think I think it's a, a fantastic social networking system, especially for me, Martin. Um, it's opened up lots of different avenues of new, new players um, and new friends in the poker world, which I wouldn't have had. And again, a lot of helpful people like yourself and other players. Who don't mind offering advice? 
Is poker something you picked up later in life, or have you been playing for a long time? Uh, bottom line is, I first started getting interested in poker in about sort of early 2000, but that was when the craze was on with Moneymaker and everybody else, and you know it was on there once a week on, on TV. And uh, I would probably play just now and again with my young boys at home and a bit of poker stars, but nothing sort of serious. I really wasn't that interested in it then. And it wasn't until middle of 2000 that I was detached to work for the United Nations in West Africa, where I got a real sort of insight into live casino poker. And it was here that I met one or two sort of influential poker players, I guess, in, in the town that they're the money players, but they're all recreational players. And it just sort of blossomed from there. I just seemed to just do well against these guys um, and played well for five years and it subsidised my wages. And when you were back in our broth then, you've been playing at Dundee for a, a few years now, just the live, the live regular games there. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, when I got back home, I retired, sort of full-time work. And it was a case that, you know, I would go to the casino and I would see a, a lot of players, and especially a lot of the younger players who've played umpteen hours online, having so much more knowledge about the, about the game. And I, I just decided, I think, you know, I've got the time. I want to be more than just a recreational player. So I thought it's time to get into reading books and learning more about poker than just level one poker. Well, it seems to have, something seems to have clicked anyway over the last year if, uh, with your two nice wins there. Absolutely. It's, I, I keep telling all the guys that I play with and people I meet, you know, there's, there's no, I don't think there's nothing hidden in poker. There's so many good guys out there. There's so many people who want to offer advice, Martin. Um, you know, because I don't have the online experience of millions and millions of hands, I decided to pick up four or five books, which led to... 40 or 50 books in the collection um, and just get my head down into them and learn the basics, essential maths, things like that, things that I've been away from schooling for the ages, but it all helps. Yep. Okay, sounds good. Uh, on to the tournament, the, the most recent tournament itself then at the Maybury. Uh, it looked like, look, I'm looking at the final table here, it looked like not an easy game, actually. Um, you had the likes of Ross Logie, Dean Lyle, uh, Derek Leach, um, all Josh Green, local Edinburgh player, Ricky Ewell, Gary Gracie, Andrew Feenan, and uh, I guess your friend from Dundee, Rico uh, Frateroli as well. Um, so not an easy final nine by the looks of it there. No, it was... I was very surprised. Um, I made back on day two... I think there was 60, something like 67, 69 runners. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I do know I was around 57th at this stage. And I thought, well, this is going to be a long day. But being short stacked allows you to play in a certain way. That it takes a lot of the worries away. And it was a case that, surprisingly, it took me nearly six and a half hours just to get to chip average but was worth the slog. 
Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know you came back from a short stack there. It's always, it's always even more satisfying when you, you know, you grind away and you, you get a few steals through and you hang on and then you go on to do something. Absolutely. And, and that was it. It was a case of just slogging away there and trying to get small pots as and when I could. These days, there are a lot of far better players than me who are playing the 25-25. And it's these guys that you've just got to watch, learn, and, and just be careful around. And, you know, if you take your time, you learn things, you play things, and I just managed to get one or two pots. And the bottom line is you really need to be lucky to win a tournament somewhere along the line. And, and, and that happened during the game. Was there a big hand that got you going at the final table? I think it was a case when once we got to the final table, like you say, there was all these guys who are, are all good players, well-known guys. And I think they played very sort of aggressively on their table, be in the run-up to it of the two tables. All the big players and all the big money was on the other table. And I think the guys had basically played a good, strong, solid game. And because of reputation, I think it had managed to get a lot of chips just by reputation. And I decided that having heard of these guys and knowing how well each of the people played, that my strategy for this game was just going to be whenever I thought I had the nuts, I'm putting my chips in, being aggressive, and see if the guys want to come. If they want to come, then so be it. And it was amazing how it doesn't take long before people realise, you know, not everybody's bluffing at the poker table. Yeah. And you, you start grinding away, taking away the chips. Once you'd lost a few players at the final, um, you got down to four handies, and then Dean Lyle went out fourth for 4,100. And then I think you, you discussed a deal three-handed, is that right? That's, that's correct, Martin. Um, to me, I just love playing poker. Uh, I enjoy playing poker. And I think I'm quite sure, like a lot of the guys, the money is an added incentive. Like I said at the beginning, it helps you free roll and play other tournaments that you probably wouldn't normally play. But winning, to me, is the biggest factor. And... You know, at this stage of the game, I don't think there's a point in, in being greedy. Everybody's worked hard to get where they got to, and I, I feel everyone deserves a fair share of the pie. And so at this stage, I'd been behind for most of the time, and I think I'd just taken out fourth place, which meant to be chip leader. A uh, deal was suggested... I think everybody taking second prize, I thought, was more than was more than fair at that stage of the game for the, for the effort. Is that how you did it? It was they both got nine thousand six hundred, so you all took nine six and you played on for the extra fourteen hundred or something. That's that's correct. We just played on for that and the trophy. How how long did it take to get to a finish then? Once you made that deal, it wasn't that long. I. Not quite sure off the top of my head, but I don't think we played for more than for more than an hour. It was a case that um, I think Josh was out next, 
um, having lost a lot, a lot of chips. Yeah, Joshua's third, and then your heads up with Derek Leach. Then that left me and Derek. And it was a case that the chips at that stage, I was two to one against Derek. As we both know, you know, it could change quite easily. Again, it was head back to what I'd been reading in my books about heads up strategy. Tight, very aggressive play. And it played. It paid off. Yeah, it certainly did. Um, so, have you? You've actually got two trophies. Then are you displaying them on your mantelpiece, or in the, are they hidden in a drawer? No, no, no. They're on. They're in full view. I think. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Lynn actually took them to get them engraved. And when she did, she thought she would try the ploy of getting her name on one of them, so that we could share them in the house. All right, that's nice. <laughs> yes, that did not happen. Ah. <laughs> Cancelled that. Uh, my name on both is good enough. She'll be in one of herself. Yeah, I see she's playing a few now, with, uh, along with yourself, a few more. So. Yes, I think you need to get more ladies involved in the game. You know, it's there for everybody. And it's a challenge, so... The more people we get playing, the better it is for all of us. Yeah, I think it's good that we all promote a friendly atmosphere at the table. Um, and just you saying that, that's something I think you're quite well known for, your your demeanour in the game. Um, you're, you're a friendly, jolly character and don't lose your temper, from what I can tell, you know, from what I hear. And when you had the double win, everyone seemed to be very happy for you locally and around Scotland. Um, so that's to your credit as well. Uh, you know, Martin, like I said earlier, I appreciate it's... There's, there's so many extra friends and people that you meet. I go to places now, and people know you. And there's no there's no malice by these guys. Everybody is really nice. Everyone's really good. And like I said, it's a learning curve all the time. And they've all been good to me. John Manzi in Dundee. I don't think we can get a better guy. He works hard. You know, and he, he, he promotes the poker the best he can. Yeah, he's done a lot locally and throughout the country, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of the guys do. They all put a lot of effort in so that we can enjoy the game to, to the best standard we can. Absolutely. Um, so what are your plans then, poker-wise, for the rest of the year? Are you playing a few more live events around, around Scotland? Yeah, uh, plans are, Martin... Hopefully, I will be away from Freetown next week. My plans were I was here to, it was twofold to attend a funeral, then meet up with friends and all the people I used to play poker with. And everybody here is Omaha crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, it makes a big difference when you're playing blinds that are £7, £14, and you're not seeing flops for £100. It's not like at home. It's not your 50-50 game or 51 anymore. <laughs> not at all. But again, you just need to be lucky with these guys, be patient, and it works. So my plan is to earn a few pennies from here um, and then to I will probably then go and sit day one of the Grand Prix at Hamden. Oh, excellent. I'll see you there then. The 25 series in Glasgow the week after on the 19th or thereabouts. Yep, definitely I'll be there. Uh, again, I'll probably come and play that on the Saturday and just stay over, save travelling. That's if I'm confident in making day two. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 
And again, it's again just basically, I just check all the, the schedules that you throw online. I have a calendar at home. Um, I play sort of the best live games I can between Edinburgh and Aberdeen um, and Dundee. So there's plenty of poker. I'm playing probably 15, 20 games a month, which is, is good poker. It's a fair amount. So it's just trying to just go that one step further now and trying to get into bigger bigger tournaments and compete with bigger guys. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much, Rob. And uh, best of luck at those events in the future. I'll see you. I'll see you a couple of them in the next couple of weeks. It sounds like. Um, Absolutely. Thanks again for calling in from Africa. That's uh, much appre- much appreciated. That's our longest distance interview to date, I believe. <laughs> uh, normally we just go to uh, Edinburgh or something like that, so that's a big difference. Uh, so thanks again for that, and I will uh, see you soon when you're back in the country. Yeah, most appreciated, Martin, and uh, thanks very much for putting me on there. Like I say. joined now by Jack Maskell, Edinburgh-based player who recently won a modest $175,000 in the PokerStars Sunday Million. Hi, Jack. Hiya, Martin. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Probably not as well as you, though. Uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, was it the 5th of March, the win? In all honesty, you're probably telling me uh, that sounds around about the right date, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, today's the two-month anniversary, I think. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so a big congratulations on that. A pretty incredible score for, for $215. Yeah, it's not a bad return on investment for sure. <laughs> um, we'll go into the, the, the tournament itself in a bit more detail later, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, sure. But just to give listeners an idea of uh, who you are um, and a bit about your background. I know you're, you're living in Edinburgh now, but where are you? How long have you been there? Where are you from originally? Yeah, so I'm from... Um... I'm from just outside London in a county called Buckinghamshire, but then I moved up to Edinburgh for university when I was 18, so I've been here for just coming up for four years. So you've graduated or about to graduate? I have my final exam in 24 hours. Okay, well thanks for taking the time off. Uh, Yeah, no worries, no worries. It sure beats revision. What's your degree? Economics. All right, so it could come in handy for poker, I guess, sometimes, or you've got a mathematical brain or a logical brain. Lots of good poker players seem to have economics as their degree. I don't know what the correlation is yet, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't remember. I didn't play with you that much. I was in Edinburgh for a, year, a few years, but I think you were you were mostly playing the lower stakes cash games around for a while. Was it 51? Yeah, well, I uh, I was always playing quite big online, but I was... I think the first year of university, I did, I've never really played live poker until about the second year of university. And I like I jumped into like, I think it was like, yeah, 51. Um, and I was like, I was, yeah, I was just getting my feet wet a little bit because the live game was a lot different to the online game. But I adjusted pretty quickly and then, you know, about, but I only, you were only playing for about maybe a month or two before you left for Glasgow. And then, uh, and then I basically moved up straight away, so. 
Um, so online was really where you learned the game and where most of your volume was put in before then. Yeah, so I've been playing online since I was uh, 15. So oh, really? Yeah, seven years. <laughs> ah, so that, uh, long apprenticeship then. And were you a cash specialist online or MTTs? It's pretty much always been cash. You know, it started out with uh, sit and goes like most people. Um, then I transitioned to cash pretty quickly and then um, tournaments have always just been something on the side so just to talk a bit about the sunday million itself then um was it just one of the normal ones you know just the 10 the million guaranteed yeah just million guaranteed just, for 215 two weeks time i would have won the anniversary one that would have been a lot better was that a 10 10 million guaranteed one or something yeah that would have been a nice million but you know hey ho, can't yeah. win them all yeah i think you'll, you'll be take, be happy with the 175 yeah. <laughs> um, so how did the, the tournament go for you? Was it plain sailing to the final or was there a lot of ups and downs along the way? It was it was reasonably plain sailing. Uh, I, I had a massive hand with two tables left where I basically got a huge dominating chip lead. That's why I went, I think the final table I had 22 million chips and the second stack had about seven. So I was three times second when I went to the final table, but the it was a very it was a pretty standard hand, but we were five handed, um, under the gun. No, I opened under the gun, then the cutoff, uh, three bet. I called with pocket fives, and the flop came five deuce deuce. He had aces, and yeah, we got it all in. <laughs> Perfect. That's just what you need at that time. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, it was just pretty pretty standard, I guess. Um, I won. Do you play the Sunday Million every week? No, no, no. I've only played it five or six times ever. Oh, really? That was good. <laughs> I'm looking at the... I looked at the report of the tournament. I see you by the final table. Um, you actually... You went in as a chip leader to the final nine. Yeah. I think with 12 million at that point. Yeah, um, I, got it. I got it up pretty quickly, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, um, a couple of other guys had eight and a half million, 8.3, 7.2. So they were they were pretty close. And then some other shorter stacks, but yeah, I was reading the report. There was an interesting hand quite early at the final. The blinds were massive, of course, one hundred, two hundred thousand already at that stage. Yeah. Um, so yourself, you only had um, you know fifty, sixty big blinds, and you were the chip leader. Yeah. Um, but I think you just you open shoved the the small blind with king seven, um, and, and you got called by king ten by a guy with about five million. Yeah, that that seems standard like there's a lot of icm pressure so i can shove pretty wide there he his cool was uh pretty bad let's just say that. yeah he, had, he, he was uh middle of the middle to top of the pack and in, in chip counts um and yeah, nine, like... nine handed he's going to get uh nine thousand dollars for for ninth with 175,000 up top so yeah it was um like he quite he ambitious been cooling with that hand yeah let's just put it that way um but and then you spiked you spiked the seven and took him out, uh, which put you up to twenty, twenty-two million or something, um, and it was ideal. Yeah, and then it was, uh, then yeah, I, I lost quite a few hands after that actually. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't super familiar with the cooling ranges in this super high variance ICM spot. So when someone shoved and I was in the big blind, I might have cooled off a little bit too loose, but it it wasn't terrible. But yeah. It was, it was an interesting final table for sure. Um, there was basically one very good regular. He was a high-stakes guy. So Dirty uh, Brazil, Noah. Yeah, Dirty Brazil's 
yeah, we've played a little bit. He's very good. Um, and then everyone else was literally, I didn't recognize anyone. Um, the guy I ended up playing heads up with was probably the worst player I've ever seen. <laughs> the Russian guy, I see. Yeah, he was crazy. And the other guys had, I think we, my friend was uh, looking them up on OPR whilst I was playing it. And they had about $2,000 in cashes, each one of them. So I, I was very aggressive um, on the final table. I just thought it was a spot where they just weren't going to do much. I just was three betting crazy and they just weren't adjusting at all. So it was, yeah, it was easy. And uh, was, it, was there any talk of a deal at any point from anyone else? Any suggestions? Yeah. So basically, I <laughs> I didn't realize how bad these players were. Basically, because um, I hadn't really played with many of them. Um, about oh, you mean in the lead up to the final? Yeah. So until the final table, I hadn't played with the majority of the table. Um, so it was pretty interesting. So obviously, you don't see too many hands before you get asked to make a deal or or whatever. Um, and I'd seen a few like. A few random things but not many showdowns you just you can't really tell up until that point um and then about like five-handed someone said oh do you want to discuss a deal and i was i was like going to discuss a deal but i probably wanted more than icm because i thought my edge was pretty big on the field um and anyway the the crazy russian guy said something along the lines of i don't speak english um, and that was basically the end of it. And I could have got the moderator in to obviously get a translator and things like that. But I saw a couple of hands after that and I just unchecked the discuss a deal button and uh, just played on because, yeah, I wasn't going to make a deal once I saw some hands being at showdown. Yeah, that sounds, 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 sounds good. Nice situation. And uh, it worked out for the best. So did it, did it go pretty quickly once you got down to four and three-handed and then heads up? Yeah, so stacks leveled out about four-handed. Um, but uh, yeah, I played I played a very interesting hand, which I don't believe was on the report, but I think quite a lot of people have heard about it. Um, this is against the, uh, the Russian guy, which, I mean, <laughs> it was... Uh, so I think it falls to me in the small blind and I limp jack nine and he checks... And the flop was queen nine five. Um, anyway, I check, he checks, the turns are jacks, and I've got middle two pair. Yep. I uh, bet, he calls, the river's a brick. Um, I bet pretty big, because I think this guy's going to call me. I get bet close to pot, I think, because I think this guy's going to call me with basically any pair. Um, and he goes into the tank for about 30 seconds. Uh, there's no flushes on the board. And then flat calls with King 10 for the Stone Cold Nuts. Ah. Yes. Um, so, I yeah, I don't even know how to describe that hand. Uh, yeah, lots of people thought it was rigged. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing to be playing four-handed for $175,000 with a guy who's calling with the, the nuts on the river. Yeah, I mean, well, he did use his time bank, so he knew to cool. It's he, just... knew, he knew something was... He knew, some, he knew, he knew it was a good hand, so he just didn't know how good... Yeah, it was. It was honestly that I couldn't believe they didn't put that in the report. That was a crazy hand. Yeah, maybe they left it out because it looked, you know, it would uh, it would have people talking about collusion or something strange, you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, there was one other hand. I think there was one other big hand, including that one. And we were three-handed. 
Um, this Russian guy had about 45 big blinds. I had about 43. And the other guy had about three big blinds. So it was, um, there was like a 40k pay jump. It was, it was pretty massive. And uh, the guy with three big blinds uh, had basically folded every single hand, was just praying to ladder up. Like since the final table began, he just was not playing a single hand. So um, anyway, the the Russian guy um, opens to the button for 3x and uh, the guy with three big blinds folds um, and it goes to me and I'm in the big blind and I've got pocket jacks, which is not great for me because if I three bet and he rips it on me, I probably have to, I definitely have to fold because there's like a 40k pay jump and the other guy's going to bust any second. So normally I'd flat here versus basically everyone, like 99.5% of people. Um, but I thought about it for a while and I decided that I can't three bet here. Well, I'm not thrilled about it. And so I decided to jam it in for the whole 40, 44 big blinds. Because he was just going to cool off with a lot of worse hands. Like that sounds ridiculous, but... So basically, I jammed it in for 42 big blinds, which is not the best play, but, you know, it, it felt like the best play against this particular player. And he snap-cooled in one second with pocket sixes. So Yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely the right play <laughs> if he's snap-cooling with sixes there. <laughs> that's amazing, that you know, just to play with the guy blinding down to three bags and the guy calling off 40 bags in that situation. Yeah, so for I such felt... a lot of money, it's yeah, I felt I felt almost quite bad for the uh, for the for the guy with blinding down because the very next hand now, obviously I've got I basically won the tournament at this point. Um, they've got about like six, seven big blinds each, and I've got eighty, and uh, I'm on the button. And as crazy as this Russian guy was, like he did know how to fold in certain spots. It was very, his play was really sporadic. It was really hard to tell what he was doing. Um, and I jammed the button with 8-2 suited, which I pretty much should be jamming 100% because they should be folding really, really, really they should be folding basically their entire range. And uh, he snap cooled the small blind with a 10-4 suited. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so he, he got there. <laughs> so that wasn't the best move by me. But yeah, he, uh, he did not care. I've got to give him that. He was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. Um, so the, the short stack eventually went out for 92,000 in third I see, and you were heads up with the Russian guy. Yeah, heads up went pretty simply. I, I had a flush against his top pair, won that, and then I won a flip, I think fours against ace jack or something like that. Yeah. Yep, and then so he got 130,000, and you got the 174,951 and 74 cents. Yep. That must look nice in the old account. Yeah, my my account balance has never has never been six figures before, so that was nice. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure you've heard this many times um, over the last couple of months, but uh, your username is can't win a flip. Uh, yeah. So I assume you, unfortunately, PokerStars won't let you change it, but I think you, know, you could be due, due for a a change there. I think everyone understood the irony in the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely won my fair share of flips, that's for sure. 
but you've got to do that to win a 7,000 person tournament, which is a turbo. Yeah, well, the 5 see it was 810 prizes, 5,593 players, and 1.18 million dollars in the prize pool. Pretty incredible, they run that every week. Yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty impressive as well that the next week Mustafa Kinnit wins it as well, so oh, yeah. I'm glad we went heads up. Are you, are you playing it every week now, or still just occasionally? Uh, still just occasionally. I've just been super busy with um, my exams. Uh, I had my birthday around that time, and I've only played it about once or twice since I won, honestly. So once uh, once your exams are over and the summer's up, do you have a nice holiday planned, or are you going to play some more live poker, or what are you Yeah, up? so um, on the 15th, so in 10 days from, from us recording this, I'm going to uh, Costa Rica with my best friend. Um, so we're going to Costa Rica for a week and then Cuba for a week. And then I'm up to Vegas for the start of the World Series ah, on, uh, on June 1st and then staying for the whole six weeks. All right, so you're going to play a pretty uh, wide schedule of tournaments then? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll still play lots of cash because that's what I specialize in, I guess. But... I don't know, probably around about 15 tournaments or so. Obviously, the main event should be fun. Is that your first time in Vegas? Yeah, because last year I was uh, I was busy with some life stuff. I had a, like, a temporary job over the summer, and I just couldn't head out because I didn't know many people going out there. But now we've got somewhere sorted out, and it's uh, it's going to be a good time, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, he'll, I'm sure he'll enjoy that. Um, excellent. Um, or just one, one listener um, asked a question in advance. It was from Robert McKeon. Um, he wanted to know what poker book or study material do you get the most out of? Hmm. I think this question really depends on your level. So I think the generally the average live player, uh, I guess, could look into... Uh, there's... There's a good website called Upswing Poker, which is just launched by Doug Polk. He's got really good basic fundamental material on there. Um, books are okay, but arguably a little outdated and not written by the best players. Um, for more advanced content, um, if you're looking at the more game theory aspect, um, you want sites like Run It Once is probably the best resource. And then just talking to good players is basically the best, the best way to get free information. But yeah, don't don't be afraid to to spend money to get uh, on these training sites and books and information because it's well worth it in the long run. Like it, it sounds like run it once is a hundred dollars a month, I think, for the elite membership. But I mean, that's basically nothing if you actually if it actually improves your win rate by any significant margin. So yeah, definitely training sites, but. Um, books have their merit, but I just don't think they're as good. Yeah, of course. Uh, not, as a, not very interaction is the, the key, I think. You know. Yeah, plus on those on those sites, you can ask the uh, professionals questions and stuff. Like on Run It Once, you can ask like Phil Galfond like, questions on his PLO videos. And like, let's be honest, not many of us get to speak to Phil Galfond. So. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks very much for that. Um, uh, thanks very much for talking to us today as well, and uh, best of luck in the summer. Yeah, thank you, Martin. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Jack. Bye for now. Cheers.
We're joined now by an anonymous poker dealer at uh, a Scottish casino. Good afternoon. Hey, afternoon. How's it going? Uh, good, thanks. Uh, I understand you've got a few things you want to get off your chest and some thoughts in general about the Scottish poker scene. Uh, well, in Glasgow especially, uh, which is where I'm working now, um, there seems to be a disturbing, like, a reluctancy for casinos to run any games below uh, 1-1 or 1-2, which to me just doesn't make any sense. What do you think about that? Why do you think there's a reluctancy for casinos to run any games more than one two? You find do you find that? Yeah, there's a reluctance of casinos to run them. Also, from the player side as well, there's a reluctance to play them. Probably just because Aye, which is, they're not uh, used I, to them. I don't understand that either. They're not used to the game, um, and a lot of people there's a lot of ego involved in just the general culture, and uh, people think they're too good for fifty fifty or fifty one or whatever, or it's just they can sometimes those games are laughed at as. Uh, you know, beneath some people. Aye, well, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, if anything, creating a game that's uh, like 25, 50, 51 or whatever, it's it's adding that, that extra layer in the food chain uh, and it's strengthening the whole, you know, poker scene, like the ecosystem. You can't just go tourney punter, cash one-two player. There, there is no, uh, you get the odd guy that'll bink a tournament and just fl- flick it into cash. Especially in Glasgow, because one two is not just your standard one two with a you know a fifty men and a four hundred max or something. It's one two unlimited buy-in. Uh, exactly, which is just it's it's alarm bells go off. You you you're a normal tournament punter, right? You come in, you pay twenty quid, you play the tournament, you bust it by like you know eleven o'clock. You're sitting wandering about. You look at the cash table, and everybody's sitting with a bit of a bag on the table. Uh, you're going to be turned off. Yeah, obviously, like as a player, and you. And you've got some experience playing, and you've been dealing for a few years. You you understand that that would actually be a good spot for a short stack, but the tournament player doesn't. He wants to just play, see a few flops, and have some fun. Uh, oh my God, uh, he's going to call me all in with nothing and win. That's what the normal tournament punter thinking. In their mind, they're going to get bullied, so they don't want to sit down. It might actually be technically a good spot for a short stack to play and get the money in good, but that's ah, exactly. not the kind of game. That's not the kind of game that player's looking for, and it's not a good starting game. You're right there. Ah. Um, but yeah, I'm not personally a massive fan of the mega low stakes like the 25-50 and the 50-50. But there's a lot of room. There's a lot of room for 51-1-1 for sure. 51, I think, should definitely be a staple in all these casinos around Scotland because it's just there is a massive divide between uh, two new punters. It's it's honestly it's like it's like the cash players in this week exclusive club and nobody wants to come in and disrupt the float. But it's it's not uh, it's not like that. People just didn't get that out of their brain and just start thinking, right, it's cash, it's the same as Tony punters. Just jump in and start playing the game. Oh, you know, I mean, you probably, you've dealt to me quite a, quite a bit over the years. You know, you, you've probably seen me, you know, more than a lot of other players. You know, when a guy walks past on the rail, just, you know, have a chat, see if he fancies a game, anything like that, you know. So. I, well, that's what it should be like. It's, it's It feels uh, the other way around uh, in some places where... Uh, if they're not a gigantic fish, they'll just be like, not did he play? Yeah, that's a shame when that happens. Uh, and the whole uh, just try to get fish into the game and organising games, it's just, that's not the way forward. I think people need to start putting down their phones and just showing up to whatever venue they want to go and to play. I think the, the organisation of games is just destroying what's good again about poker, or local poker anyway. I prefer it myself when it's all out in the open, you know, it's just all public card rooms, 
you know. Ah, it's it's all just they uh, will just turn kind of they will just turn up down the list and play when they you know and just get a game going. Yeah, sometimes you do have to arrange things for sure, and it's handy to say you know, you know, to some extent that you know, or we're going in at seven o'clock. Like sometimes I'm, I'll say I'm going at a certain time, but I'm not right. setting stipulations about you know there must be five players confirmed to come or or so and so must be playing or whoever you know. It's just a, a bit a bit looser the way in my mind, but I mean, there's, there's some room for organisation to get players in to make sure the game goes, but not to the you know extreme extent, I think, is what you're talking about. Not like book seats or trying no. to keep it secret or anything like that, you know, all out in the open just to try and get, get a game going, you know. I think there needs to be a big push uh, for these local casinos, especially in Scotland, to start uh, bringing in new punters. Uh, I want to see a stack match and stuff like that. I, I mean, just say you have a game of nine completely new people, right? They've all sat down 50 quid. You're just giving them 20 quid on top of their stack. I mean, what's 180 quid to the casino? Like, honestly, it's nothing. Uh, just to start to kick a game off and then some of these players come back. Uh, you start a wee flourishing 51 community. Oh. Some of them go up. Some of them... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the, I don't know if all the casinos would go for that. But one idea I I had and that I quite like is, like say to the tourney players, even if it's the winner, the top three or the final table, every night you give them a voucher for a, a get out of rake free for the cash oh, game. Oh yeah, I, I'm a so huge like, advocate of that as well. Up to uh, a fiver. Basically, you're giving them a, a voucher for a fiver, and you, you write their name on the ticket so only they can use it. They can't give it to someone, um, and then it just encourages them to maybe wander into the cash game and get a free fiver raked pot. Um, and it's it's not really costing the casino much because they'll, they'll generate more business. The won't recognise the value of a rake free per night. But I'll just give them the players that it, it, you know indicatively yeah, see. It just puts it in his mind though. You know, I've got a voucher for a five or rake pot. I might sit down for twenty minutes and then he ends up staying for two hours. You know, I that's a that's what you want. It's kind of a free roll. It's kind of a free roll anyway for the casino because they lose a five on that one pot, but the guy's sitting there when he might not otherwise have done. Uh, yeah, there definitely are things that you know you can do. The thing, the, the thing is, uh, the way casinos are run, uh, it's uh, poker always has to go to above, like just say there's a poker manager and then they have to go to like the GM to get the final call and stuff. And if it's anything uh, remotely risky, it just won't get done. It so, depends, depends on the casino, but yeah, to some extent you're right. And the GM has the final say. Uh, that's why I think Dusty Dawn's flourishing because, like, Rob Young's not got anybody to really answer to, does he? He just he sees someone that he likes and he'll just implement it. Yeah, although to be fair, he's got he's got a massive budget. To be fair, um, uh, aye, well, and he doesn't he doesn't mind losing money on things, so he's maybe not. You're right. It's a good card room, obviously, and it's doing a lot of good things. Um, but that that being said. You know, there, there is, for a normal casino, um, they, they should definitely be doing more, I think you're right, in terms of poker, you know, and it's not that not that risky, you know, when it comes to some guarantees or some other cash game promotions, for example. They're not taking kind of Dust Dawn type risks on, like, million dollar guarantees or anything. It's not that, it's like small things that would not be risky at all even, but they're, they no, sometimes I... they think they're risky, you know. So you're hopeful for, uh, you're hopeful for change in the future? Uh, we always hope for change. We hope for... Uh... The card we're working on now, I think it's it's definitely going to go up, uh, in terms of popularity, and I feel like um, if we continue on the track that we're going on now, it could become uh, a, a really amazing card room. There's just a, a wee subtle changes that need to be made. 
Um, it's just that getting change through is harder than what it is and it takes longer. Uh, it's just always the way between card rooms. Yeah, and I know, it annoys snow. me. It annoys me as well as a player for years. You know, like sometimes I make suggestions. Um, you know, have a chat with people quietly or make public suggestions. But yeah, they just they seem to take six months or a year instead of you know two weeks or a month. You know. All right. Uh, moving on to maybe a more light-hearted note. Uh, we wanted to have a quick chat about uh, some of your pet peeves or some things that. Uh, players do you know you've been dealing for a number of years now so you've probably seen it all at the table what are the most annoying things that players do and maybe maybe they can adjust their behavior to make make the game faster and smoother and maybe the dealer's life a bit easier sometimes there's one thing that really does tilt me uh straight off the bat right see if i'm uh if a guy will count down chips right just he's counting down eight quid right you pop it in the middle and it'll just like flick it over and then you're, you're just left there to just grab all the chips and make sure it's the right, and then put it in. It just slows the game down. Yeah, that, that uh, annoys me as a player. It's like that, a, t- it's a TV so, thing. Or they so think annoying. It, they just think it looks... I mean, I've seen guys count out like 150 and just kind of do the sort of casual, you know, tiny, tiny, uh-huh, tiny just, throw just at the end. Nudge just to make sure that it topples over. Go, I mean, it, who the fuck? It, it Jenga, t- Jenga style goes over half oh, the it's, table. It's just unbearable. Uh, and uh, sometimes I just look at the guy... And acknowledge the fact that he's done wrong there. He's got no yeah, idea. Just, he just looks straight back at me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that one as a player because it wastes time as well, and it's just it's just, it's just stupid. Uh, uh, people like having an unnatural connection with uh, like a single amount of chips. Like, just say, uh, one guy really loves uh, five pound chips. Yeah. And it would just collect them. It would just no give it change. You'll no do anything, and you're sitting there with your foot. You're just like, what the fuck? I need I need some. Uh, can you give me them? Nah, no me, mate. Uh, just like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's always a strange one too. That's uh, these these players, uh, they just like to play the way they like they want to play. But honestly, if it's going to speed up the game if I've got enough change to distribute between all the players, and they can actually make the bets. Uh, a few other ones, uh, the mucking of the cards, right? So, um. You call a guy in the river. Uh, I, as a dealer, I point to the guy that you've called and say, sure, Muck. Generally, they're quite taken aback by this, but it's the way it should be done. You say, sure, Muck. They they can either show their hand, win the hand, or their guy shows a winner. You know, whatever. But there's like this wee cowboy standoff where it's like, all right, who wins? And a lot of dealers are not actually just forcefully tell the guy you know, turn your fucking hand over or, or or mark your hand. It does waste a lot of time. I see it all the time. Um, some other some other card rooms, some other cities are bet are better at it. Like Edin- Edinburgh's really good for enforcing it, I think now, and uh, all the bigger the bigger rooms and the bigger cities. But Glasgow is not, maybe not so much. It's like if there's a negotiation on the river. I, I've got the king. The one guy says, "I I wish a kicker. I me too. Me too. Wish a kicker." Oh well, my kicker's this. All right, well, show your cards then. No, I've said I've got the king. I've said I've got the king. You know, you, you can muck now. No, no. It, turning one card over is is just shit as well. Just turn both cards over and just be done with it. Yeah, you're absolutely. I, I you're right on that one. I, I can't disagree. But the one the one kind of related to that where it's annoying as well, is where the guy the guy shows his hand. So the guy's bet and he's been called. So that the guy that bet is correctly showed say ace king top pair right. and it's good. And the guy goes. Aye, it's good, but he's still holding on to his cards like they're, 
you know, a hundred pound note or something. He's not letting his cards go, so his hand's completely live. Uh, aye, and I can't award the pot until the guy I've taken this guy's hand in. So what are you waiting on, mate? Just throw it away or get on with it. And then you ask for the guy's cards, who's basically conceding, and he's acting like you're being a dick or something. Um, but you're not because the hand is still live, so you're just protecting the players by asking them to muck his cards properly. Oh my god! And although although most of the time that, that ends up nothing happening, but there's like one in a thousand hands. Then the guy's misread his hand. He look, takes a second look, and it's got a flush that he didn't see. And now oh. there's a massive standoff in the card room, and then people are people are blaming the dealer when you know. Well, blaming the dealer—that's a good a good segue into uh, dealer abuse. Oh yeah. Uh, dealer abuse is absolutely disgusting, and I, I personally have been the victim of it. Like, obviously, it's going to happen, right? It, it, all the five, six years I've been dealing, right, probably made hundreds, fucking hundreds of mistakes. It's just, it's going to happen. Uh, but I've dealt, you know, tens of thousands of hands, so um. It's a small percentage, but it's going to happen and again. Not just not just mistakes. You're going to get abused just for bad rivers, which you did nothing wrong, obviously. That's not even. Uh, I think that's more of a like a genuine like. It's hard to describe, to be honest. Yeah, some people don't think about the dealer. You know, the guy. You know, it's not a. It's not always a fun job, and you know, if they're getting abused, if a guy's telling you constantly you're you're terrible for him, you're always killing him, you know, and you're just going about your business trying to do your job, it's not. Well, I, well people don't realise that I'm just a guy who comes in, does a job, and goes home at night as well. Um, I don't know, live at the casino. It's it's like uh, imagining like when you're younger, like a teacher outside of school, you're like, what the fuck? Um, but no, I I mean, I just go to work, I get my head down, I do my work, and I fuck off. That's the way it is, and I, I hassle-free, hopefully, but there, there, a bunch of nights I'll just come by and there'll be people just abusing me hardcore. Um, you just wonder, who are these people and why are they doing it? I usually put it into uh, something wrong with them, that they're abusing me, but really, casinos should be doing more to just half these people out, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they should be kind of cracked down on a bit more. It's good if there's a... If you've got a supervisor walking around the card room watching the tables as well, I think people are better behaved, um, and he actually picks people up for, you know, uh, bad language and you know just abusing abusing other players. I mean, other players get abused as well. You must see that. Uh, oh, I. Well, uh, it's nets that get abused more than anything, and net is a word I don't like to use often, but it's the one t- I hear t- so t- very very often. There's so many people get abused for playing the way they play, uh, and I I think it's just ruining the game, hardcore. Uh, if someone comes in just so you get like, most of the people I see that are perceived nits are like, uh, university students or something like that who come in, they play with a couple hundred quid, and they just you know they play a hand on orbit. I didn't see anything wrong with that. I like having players at my table who are nice and courteous, but. Others will just absolutely dissuade people who play and uh, try to get them off the table at any cost. And they're organising games, you know, excluding these players. And it just, it's ruining the community. How do you feel about um, the different different seating systems? You know, different Glasgow casinos have got different systems, like the, uh, the balancing system that Fountain Park uh, uses really well, or the, the feeder system, or any other. What's your preference there? Well... Kind of back him into a corner because the one I've got to know is, uh, 
a, a system that I necessarily wouldn't implement myself. Uh, it's no something I feel is the best option. And a lot of people will say, well, the feeder option's best for Glasgow. And they'll just say that without having any knowledge whatsoever. They'll just say it as a blanket statement. Um, when balancing tables, it's not really been done. In a, well, I've not seen it done in Glasgow properly. There is one uh, casino and, doing it pretty well now. It's been a, it's been a good, you know, three, four, five months now. Um, it, it, players hated it at first, hated it at first, but it's it's working quite, it's working quite well. Like the three, four months, like that's that timeline of getting change through. It takes absolutely ages to do anything. Yeah, people, I mean, fair enough. People are people are used to certain things. It's been that way for years. You can understand that. You know, it's not. Yeah, it's, not that, it's just it's just the way it's just the way human nature is. Um, I think we should just be taking more risks in the Scottish poker scene instead of doing the same stale stuff over and over again. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan That's of the, the balancing system for cash game seating. It's it's the best. It's the best system on average. On average, on for for players and the casino, it's a, it's a no-brainer. You've got twelve players who want to play. Yeah, six and six rather than just nine and three win. Uh, I didn't see any problem with that whatsoever, and it's more accessible to, for people to come in and fill up the games. It's no, if you've got six and six, right, um, then more people fill up. You ha- you have to go to this table. Yada yada, and. If people come in and see empty seats, that's when people sit down. Um, like, one of the key things for me is um, if, if I can't come in at 8 o'clock on a Friday when the game starts, for example, then I could come in at 10 to midnight to 1am and you know not have to wait for ages and not have a chance of my game being shorthanded and breaking up, which is guaranteed on the, the later games in a feed, any feeder system. All right, well, if, just say your, your, your game starts at 7, right? It's an organised game. You come in. Eight o'clock's not going to be any use to you whatsoever. Nine o'clock's maybe going to be a use, but eight o'clock there's only going to be one game gone, and you're going to have to wait. Nine o'clock comes round, you might have to. Be, it might be the same situation. You're just first on the list, but you know if you wait even longer and stave off your coming to the casino, then you could just jump into a game. Uh, you should be able to turn up, uh, whenever you want and just be fired on the list. And if there's enough players going on it, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't disagree at all. I mean. Uh... Been oh that, my god! Well. Um, all right. Anything else you fancy uh, covering before we finish off? Well, I kind of want to harp back to the net bashing. Yeah, sure. Uh, and we really need to cut down on that. It's something that really digs into me. Uh, you can't just bash a player for the way he plays. And at the end of the day, uh, he's providing the game. Like, he's he's being there. He's sitting down, and he generally it'll be the people who are turning up at seven on a dot. That are going to be the ones, uh, you know, perceived nets. Like they're the game starters, man. We need these people in the game, and if you can't play around these guys, then you shouldn't be playing at all. I mean, I, I've been called a tight player from time to time, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I make well, it to get games going. I'm not playing with him because he's a fucking net. I'm not playing with him because he's a fucking net, and it's just like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't just sit about and have eight fish ranges. Like it's not going to work at all. What's the point of playing poker if it's um if you're only playing against eight fish? Just making money hand over fist. You can but, see that, but it's not really fair, I don't think, to the general poker economy or the, the general you know. No, because uh, a new player as well, just say they come in and they're a bit um 
cautious, overly cautious the first time they play. They're going to be they're going to be called out as being a huge net, especially if they've uh, like checked raised fucking aces or some shit. Uh, they're just going to be called out as a net, and they're they're going to have a horrible experience. And those guys are not going to come back. Yeah, it's good to be friendly at the table. Yeah, and new players up. especially. If you see a new player in your card room, make sure you fucking you know roll out the red carpet for him. The the poker scene's gone downhill instead of it's not growing. Especially not for what I've seen in Scotland. The tourney punters are through the roof, but it's getting the tourney punters into the cash games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh. Hopefully, we can see some new promotions and new maybe some idea, new ideas, new changes, and I mean things are all right. But you know, there's always room for improvement, like you say. Well, if in doubt, just copy Dusto Dawn because they're doing everything right now. Especially like they've got a big year ahead of them this year, so. Oh, the good, good. They've got a good, uh, good some good tournaments coming up in Glasgow. We've just been talking about that earlier. That oh, Hamden Park. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Mr. Anonymous uh, Scottish. Oh, hey, aye. <laughs> Thanks for having me, aye. Uh, we'll maybe have you on again in the future, hopefully. Uh, well, I'm so we sure that, that, uh, if there's any reaction to what you say. Thank you very much. Right, cheers, man. Some awesome games that are coming up. So sit back, relax, and listen up. Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, and Aberdeen. This some hot shit like you've never seen. Hush up now and listen to the boys. The best upcoming tournaments make some noise. Hush up now and listen to the boys. The best upcoming tournaments make some noise. Yeah. Coming up from the 12th to the 15th of May live in Glasgow, we have the GPPT at Hamden Park. This has day ones at the Aaliyah Casino on the 12th and the 13th of May. On the 14th there are three day ones during the day at Hamden Park itself and day two is on the 15th and there's lots of online day ones prior to this during the whole week coming up to feed lots of players in. We're going to talk a bit more in in detail about this event with one of the main main people responsible, Simon Trumper, uh, immediately after this segment, so I'll leave it there for now. Also in May, the, from the 19th to the 22nd, we have another 25-25 series event in Glasgow at the Merchant City Casino. All the usual stuff there with 220 buy-in, 25,000 guaranteed, always worth a look. Looking forward to June, Another related event to the GPPT, um, this is the GPPT Mini. These mini events, they're off the back of the, the, the main stadium tour, but these ones, the mini ones, aren't held in stadiums at all, it's just in local casinos. So this one's going to be in the Aaliyah Casino in Glasgow entirely for all the day ones and the day two. It's the same $109 buy-in and a smaller $50,000 guaranteed prize pool, which is still pretty big. There are three live day ones starting on Friday the 24th of June. There's the first live day one at 6 o'clock. On Saturday the 25th, the next day, there are two different flights at 1pm and 6pm. And day two is on the Sunday at 1pm. Now there's also a couple of online day ones during the week, the, the two days prior on Wednesday the 22nd and Wednesday the 23rd of June where you can 
just like you can with the main stadium tour. You can try and win your way straight to day two on Sunday online, uh, which is also worth a shot. So including the online days, um, that's a total of five different day ones, three live and two online uh, to get into your final day two held at the Alia Casino in Glasgow on June the 26th. So keep, keep an eye out for that. That's all we have coming up on the immediate schedule in Scotland. Uh, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back with Simon Trumper to tell us more about the GPPT at Hamden coming up on the 12th to the 15th of May. Okay, we're joined now by Simon Trumper, who's an experienced poker player for a long time in the UK and now club director at Dusto Don, as well as being tour manager for the GPPT Mini and is also involved in the GPPT stadium events. And we have one coming up in Maine in Glasgow at Hamden. Welcome, Simon. Hi, Simon. Hi, guys. How are you? Very well, sir. Very well. Very well, thanks. Uh, just to start off with then, um, congratulations on the GPPT warm-up you had at the Alia in Glasgow last week. Um, that seemed to go very well. Do you know what? It was fantastic. I was over the moon. Uh, Jack Lachlan up there uh, is my contact, uh-huh. and he's he's been pretty confident that uh, Glasgow would be super busy. And I must admit, we, were, we, we couldn't believe it. Um, we need 156 people to hit that guarantee. It was guaranteed at 10 grand at 65 plus 5 reg fee. Um, we smashed it, 212. So, uh, yeah, over the moon. And that's a good sign, isn't it, for the uh, for the stadium coming up in May, and and then the minis, the future minis. Absolutely, yes. I think it's most of the big tours that come to Scotland generally favours Edinburgh. I mean, uh, I think we had a, a GPS mini in Glasgow. That's the first sort of big tour that's really been there. Yeah. So, I think there's a massive appetite for you know get Glasgow on the poker scene and get them on the map. Yeah, well, Glasgow's obviously it's been a favourite of mine for a long time. Actually, I mean, when I first started playing in Scotland, I played at uh, the Riverboat. Uh-huh. Many, many years ago. Um, you know, I've always enjoyed coming up there, to be honest. Excellent. And how did you get on yourself? I know you had a bounty on your head <laughs> in that game. Yeah, I think I was one of the first out. Um, I certainly intend, didn't intend that to happen. I was actually, uh, I was playing pretty aggressive, to be honest. But but uh, in the end, it was uh, it was an absolute no-brainer. And the gentleman that knocked me out was a guy called Ratan Kumar. Uh, he won a $530 high roller seat, which he can use on parts poker, and he had uh, a pair of twos. Um, everybody was gunning for me, obviously. If ever I came into a pot, they were calling. Um, I had ace-queen, and the flock came queen-six-two, and that was the end of that. So well well done to him. It was, a, it was a fun game, and the idea of these warm-ups is just to generate a bit of interest in the main tour before it hits a town. Is that is that right? Absolutely. I mean, we hand out flyers and everything, so everybody's aware that the main tour is coming. Um you know, it's it's uh, it's going to be opposite Hamden Park, and I've never been there, so I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to it. Believe it or not, guys, I'm I'm not into football at all. Uh, I never have been. Um, I did Wembley a few years ago, and I must yeah, admit that, that. that was fun. That was fun. I must admit that happened on my 50th birthday. Excellent. And then when this tour was announced, and they said it was going to be at football stadiums, I thought, oh, big deal, you know. And then we've gone out, and I'm actually really enjoying it. You know, we've done Stamford Bridge, we've done Old Trafford, we've done uh, St James's Park, and we've done we've just done Ellen Road. And the next, the last three for this season are, of course, Hamden Park in Glasgow. And then we're up to, uh, we're down to Brighton, actually, down for the Amex. And then we go to Cardiff. Um, but you, believe it or not, Hamden is obviously your national stadium. I, is, I'm actually yes, looking forward to coming. 
So to go into a bit more detail then about the, the main event at Hamden, uh, it's a $109 buy-in with $250,000 guaranteed. Yep, that's right. And uh, the, the, basically what we're doing, we've changed things actually for this. We're, we're running uh, d- online day ones uh, a few weeks in advance. Every Sunday, there's an online day one at 9 o'clock. We'd like it until 10.17, so, so people can play there, or they can wait till the week of the event, and we, there'll be day ones every day, through from Sunday through to the Saturday, which is live at the, the stadium itself. You can also play live at Alia, where, where I've just played the warm-up. Uh, they're going to have day ones on Thursday and Friday, or you can come to Hamden Park itself and play, play on the Saturday. Yeah, I, really, I really like this idea. It's uh, quite a new thing for like a two-day tour event in the UK, um, just to have so many different ways to feed players in. But it means you can have a really huge guarantee for a low buy-in, and I, I, I like what you're doing there. Yeah, I, know, I mean, this is what uh, Party Poker, we, we've partnered with them uh, February last year, and right from the beginning, Rob and I have said, you know, we really want to get back to grassroots poker. We want to try to attract the players that uh, normally wouldn't have a shot at these huge guarantees. We want to give them the opportunity. And the only way to do that is to take the infrastructure from Dusk to Dawn, bring it to these stadiums or conference centres, anything that's big enough to hold it. I mean, we, we normally have about 70 tables. Um, and then, obviously, we need to have... Mo- the only way you can hit quarter of a million is to have multiple uh, day ones. Sure. So, obviously, we, we have the benefit of using Party Poker for online. Um, and then, as I said, you can go live uh, at Alia. You have the option, if you want to play in your local casino, by all means do, or if you want to come and experience uh, the excitement of uh, having 70 tables in full use, uh, then come down to Hampton Park. There are three flights on the day, 12 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 7 o'clock. And it is, it's a massive guarantee in terms for, for the buy-in, $109. So I think I worked out 76 quid the other day. $250,000 right, yeah. prize pool. Yeah. And two, and half, two, and half thousand, two and a half thousand entries or something. Two yeah, six. well, actually, it's actually more than that. That's what most people think. But the, it's actually 94 plus 15. Right. Right. So basically, you've got a quarter of a million. I'm just doing it now. Yeah, I think it's 2,600 and something. Divide it by 94. It's 2,660 players oh, yeah. is actually the benchmark. That's the number we need to hit. And I can tell you guys, we haven't hit it yet. Um, we, do you know what? We've kind of got our fingers crossed for Glasgow. We, we, we actually believe this could be the first time we're going we're gonna to hit it. I think we'll have massive support from the Scottish players yeah. all over. It's just about if people also travel in for it, I guess, from other locations. Yeah. Well, I think there's a good that. chance. Yeah, we, 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 Jack was telling me that he saw players that have come from Aberdeen and Dundee yeah. just for the warm-up. <laughs> right? So, I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty excited about it, to be honest. Yeah, and Absolutely. Just, just to be clear, this is the biggest guarantee in Scotland of all the tournaments announced so far this year. You have the biggest wow. guaranteed prize pool, and, oh, it's, and it's 76 quid to get in. It's not the 1K buy-ins, it's not the 500 no, exactly. quid buy-ins. Yeah, or the, all Such the GPS, a good price point. quids and stuff like that. Exactly. Also, you've got to remember that uh, the infrastructure on party poker to allow people to play this is, is absolutely unbelievable. You can, you can actually start from as little as one cent, uh, and it has been done, by the way. Yeah. We had a guy that uh, final tabled. Uh, one of uh, one, one of the tours. Um, he started off at one cent. He spun it up. He won a five dollar fifty ticket. He spun that up to a twenty two dollar ticket. And then you have the, the uh, generic satellites, the one hundred nine satellites, uh-huh. where you can you can win um, one of the. They're normally guaranteed at ten or twenty seats. Sometimes they go bigger during the during the actual last week. Um, that's a tip for you guys. Uh, wait till the last week. That's when the best value is. Uh, and then um, obviously you can uh, you can win your seat for as little as twenty two dollars. Um, but you also have to remember that you can play more than once. So if you if you play and you get a small stack going through to day two, you do have the option to play again, and you can take your biggest stack through. Sure. So yeah. So you're not tied into a stack. And you don't have to surrender your first stack. You can choose the biggest one, which is an important difference to some other. Groups. Absolutely. 
I think that's, yeah. that, that's definitely going to get you more numbers because guys, yeah, and also you know people knowing that they can uh, void their stack, they'll, they'll take multiple shots because you know yeah. try try and get a, a decent stack to yeah. go deep in it. And yeah. also the um, you have to remember that should you make day two, you you are actually cashing, you're min cashing on day two. It's that's one of the I'll talk about the mini tour in a minute, but that's one of the big differences at the stadium event. We want to attract travelling players and we want people to fire more than one bullet, and and so to attract them to do that, we're guaranteeing them a min cash of three hundred and thirty dollars. Um, the minimum guaranteed first prize, by the way, is thirty-five thousand. So uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it is a massive attraction, sure, sure. and it's. Uh, I think that hopefully people will will fire more than one or two bullets, obviously within the comfort of their own bankroll. But because you can build it up from one cent, I think I think just about anybody can can afford to have a go at, at building up to the twenty-two dollar level to the. I've been messing. Ar- I've been messing around this week on Party Poker, some of the satellites, and I've won one seat from five dollars. Have you really? So, yeah, from five fifty so far. Well, there you go. So you know, haven't used it yet. Haven't played a day one yet. I'll do that probably during the you know the week the week before the event when there's a lot of them going on. There's a lot of chat on Facebook, Simon, about the the golden chip promotion. I know lots of people are at yeah, those every day. Yeah, we just introduced it, uh, and it has changed. Um, but it, but I think it's for the better. Basically, for the first 500 um, tickets that are won, 509 tickets that are won for Glasgow, uh-huh. specifically for Glasgow, this is. Um, if it works well, then we'll we'll carry it on for the other legs. But basically, what happens if you win a, a golden chip? Uh, you can now the difference before you had to use the golden chip on your first entry, right? right? And then if you had other subsequent entries, it didn't count anymore. But for Glasgow, what we've done: if you win a golden chip, it counts for all your entries. So even if you have three or four entries, you, the golden chip stays with you. Now, should you go on and win the tournament, you will get an additional fifty thousand dollars. And that's a complete, complete free roll, basically. Complete free roll. No, we're not asking anything for it. We're not asking for you to to, to come and be sponsored by us or anything. It's fifty thousand dollars cash in your party poker account. I think that's part of why people love Dusk of Dawn and uh, yourself and Rob so much is you do these promotions where it is that's going to attract so many people to it that you know it's great. It's a great first prize anyway, but to add fifty grand to it to more than double it. Yeah, so so we're nearly paid out, by the way. We, um, I think it was at uh, Manchester. They were heads up, and the guy had a golden chip. And right. basically, what happened? You got in those days, you got five thousand for making the final, uh-huh. and you doubled first prize if you if you won it. Yeah. And he and he 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 got ribbed. Uh, oh, wow. he, he got ribbed. He saved saved, saved thirty five thousand. <laughs> but he obviously we we it was it would have been great publicity if he'd won exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Either way. But uh, it was a real, it was quite fun watching yeah. that final table. So to actually win a golden chip, you, it's not just the first five hundred to qualify. You can you have to play a satellite for a golden chip that run every hour. Is that right? Yes. Um, I see they're kind of satellite. like free rolls, basically one cent. I see running from five to eleven p.m. every day. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to check on the main site, uh, which is gppt.poker, and uh, you'll be able to find out there how many chips are left. I do see lots of poker acquaintances going crazy trying to win them and. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's definitely generating some interest, which is great. Um, okay, so more details about the event then. Um, it's obviously in US dollars um, because it's a party poker thing. How, how, do, how do people actually buy in to one of the live days then? Uh, if you come along to uh, Aaliyah, um, then we, we, we can take cash um, and uh, we can put it into your account. So you can play uh, with cash at Aaliyah on, on, uh, on day ones. Sterling is okay for, uh, to, at Aaliyah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we just do it at whatever the XE.com rate is. 
for, for, for the uh, just to make sure that you have a hundred nine dollars in your account. So, for example, uh, when I did Milton Keynes, it was seventy eight quid. Uh, but I've just done uh, when, when was I last week? I'm all over the place. It was um, Birmingham, Birmingham, and it was seventy six quid. Um, so it, it, it's going to be between seventy six and seventy eight quid probably. But, but all players uh, must have a party poker account either before or have one. That saves an awful lot of time if you've already reactivated your existing party poker account, or if you've uh, indeed registered a new one. Now there is a big, big difference at Hamden Park. It is a cashless. You cannot pay cash. Okay. All right. So, so the only ways of getting in, you have to either uh, deposit the money in your account before you arrive. I would suggest that the best way is to actually pre-register for the event in one of the holding tanks and then you turn up go and register into the tournament system and you're in and away you go um, the other option is you can go and get pay safe vouchers um, which you can go to u- news agents and you can get a pay safe voucher and you can use that to deposit um, but unfortunately we cannot take any cash, cash in the stadium yeah, sure. yeah. Okay. I think we've had experiences of that before in Scotland there's some of the tours that come and take yeah. Some lovely locations, and it's just cashless. There's no cash games. Yeah, you have to buy in exactly. online. And yeah, so, at, so at the Alia and at Hamden, then you'll just have some team members sitting with PCs, basically, laptops, yeah, laptop signing people up. Yeah. yeah, signing people up, and then basically what happens if you turn up at Alia? If you've already pre-registered, we we check it. We look down on the holding tank. You tell us your name. We we cross-reference it. We give you a chip. You go and put your your name into the tournament system, and away you go. Yeah. If you haven't, then what happens? You go to another desk. Uh, they help you set up the account. We've got five people doing it. They help you set up the account. Uh, and then once you've, uh, obviously it's different at uh, Leo, uh, we can take cash. So you pay us the 76 quid or whatever it is. We put a 109 ticket into your account. You're in the tournament and off you go and play. Hamden Park will be slightly different um, because we can't take cash. You're either going to have to uh, d- you know, deposit using a card or use a PaySafe voucher. Okay. Sounds sounds good. Um, and uh, when someone if someone cashes in the event, how are their winnings paid out? Is it through party poker? It is because it's cashless uh, on the venue. Basically, uh, all all buy-ins are done through party poker, and all payouts are done through party poker. At the latest, the money will be in your account by Wednesday. There is one other thing to to try and encourage people to play future events. Um, each payout place gets a one hundred and nine ticket for a future event. Right. So if you if you win the minimum amount, which is three thirty, you'll be getting two hundred and twenty one dollars plus a 109 ticket. If you win the 35,000, then exactly the same. The 109 will be deducted and you'll get the balance in cash. Yeah, I, really, I really like the whole idea of the... It's much, it's much better as a tour around the UK. Scottish players don't always travel that often, you know, apart from the professionals. Um, yeah. But if you're only tra- travelling for a day two, then it's, it's much easier to travel to Newcastle, Manchester, whatever, you know. Yeah, uh, of course. So yeah, the, the, the whole concept online. is thought. Is, is on the stadium events is to attract uh, players uh, that particularly want to go to the stadium or live, you know, maybe within an hour of the stadium. Yeah. Um, the mini tour was set up um, to try and attract people within a 50 mile radius all over the country. Yeah. Now, I hadn't realised that the, the, the day two you're already, you automatically have cash by day two. So yes. I think you can play the online aspect without having exactly. to, connect to travel and. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you know you're going to hand in with money coming back to you. Yeah. Well, what, what we found is that people are playing the online day one. And, and, and say, for example, you are short-stacked uh, coming in the last level. Uh, a lot of people just t- they start playing it like a satellite. So they just sure. hang on, get through with two or three bigs. They know that they've locked up a 330 cash. Uh-huh. And now what they do is they try again. They play, they play another day one trying to get a bigger stack to come through. Knowing that, you know, whichever happens, they're going to get a min cash anyway. I mean, obviously, the shortest stacks, if they live a long way away, they don't bother turning up, but they get the money in their account the following week. 
Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, some some questions about the actual running of the the tournament. Then, yep. does the GPPT use uh, Dust or Dawn rules not, not for uh, the tournament? Yes, it does. So does that yeah, include your deal making rules that are a little bit different to some other casinos? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, we've had a huge debate over this over the years. About, uh, I think it's six years ago now, um, I made the decision that uh, no deals would be allowed if it's an event over fifty thousand guaranteed that we have contributed to the prize pool, either you know by satellites, a satellite uh, system. That you have to remember that usually the satellites overlay uh, quite a considerable sure, amount, yeah. especially for the when we do million pound tournaments. You know, we can overlay fifty hundred grand easy. Um, and, and basically, because all our events are streamed when we have major final tables, and by the way, even though this is a $109 tournament, it will be streamed Excellent. on the on the final on day two. The, uh, the the feature table and the final table will will be streamed right the way through to completion. Uh, Ryan Spittles, who just won a GUKPT, well done, Ryan, yep. and Paul Zimbler are our main commentators. And then if I'm a, if I'm available, I jump in and help for the last like two or three players. Um, but yes, uh, so, so the rule is no deals are allowed, and this includes savers. Uh, okay. the, the whole purpose of doing a payout is that that is the players have, have agreed to enter the tournament under our rules, and our rules are X amount of players means X amount of players get paid on this payout structure. And um, I used to find that when I was playing, and I was playing all over the place, you, you'd go to somewhere like Luton, for example, uh, and it got a little bit ridiculous. We, I remember playing one tournament, and we got down to 16 players, and I think... The, the final table was supposed to be paid, right. and all 16 agreed to chop the money. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. It's the biggest chop I've ever seen. Um, and I do know from experience of playing at the Riverboat that usually on a, on a, on a, on a weekend or a weekly tournament, when it gets down to four or five hundred, they do chop it. Um, but unfortunately, for, for the, the rules are going to be that uh, you have to play to the end. You're going to win the trophy, get the title. And I think it's, I think it's okay. I just think it's important for people to know. So that, that was the only Absolutely. reason I was asking, so they know what's going, know what it's like going in. Okay, can I just tell you a quick story about that? Sure. When uh, when I first introduced it, uh, the it was I think it was let's say it was the March 300 pound deep stack about six years ago. Yeah. Now the guy, there was a guy that came up from uh, Wales. He'd he'd split it the month before. So he did a four-way split and got, uh-huh. let's say, he got 15, 20 grand, yeah? The following month, the very, very first time I introduced the rule, he won it, right? And he, he rang me the following week, and he said, do you know what? He said, when I went home the first time, my mates were saying, oh, well done, I'm chuffed for you, blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, he said, I was happy to get the money. He said, when I went home the second time, he said, when I woke up the next day, the difference, the feeling I got knowing that I actually won a tournament outright was so much better. And yeah. he said, I understand why you did it. And I, and I said, well, the thing is, I mean, I used to split comps. Of course I did when I was playing on the, on the European circuit. But I know for a fact that when you actually win it outright and you get that trophy, you know, it is honestly, it's a hundred times better feeling. And how, how are you going to ever learn to play shorthanded if you don't actually play yeah, it? Yeah, chop, chop it four-handed. You know, if you're constantly yeah. chopping four or five-handed, you're never going to get the experience that's required to play heads-up to actually win the event. I think it's what for the spectacle for the audience as well, playing down to a winner where it's you know the money the big money is still up top, everything's to play for, the pressure can be applied yeah. to you know, it is important. Um, I, d- I don't know if you've ever heard the Marcel Lusk joke, what happens in Scotland when a player busts out chop. The chop <laughs> So the the Dundee chop is a famous thing in Scotland where really? it's that yeah, no if, if you Google it it's uh is it eighteen handed there was a, a a deal done, Martin, is that right? No. Right. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's I mean, a Dundee gets gets the label because it's the Dundee chop is the right, okay. ridiculous number of people in a chop, but uh, yeah. it's famous up here apparently. So, uh, so are you guys going to be at the event? Um, I definitely will be. Yep. 
I, I'm not able to make it, but I'm doing a lot of work to try and promote it. I don't know if I, I posted something on Facebook the other day with all the top Scottish pros in Scotland strips, apart oh, from Ludo in a German strip because he has his, his German <laughs> passport. So if you've always wanted to play at Hamden, now's your chance. Just to finish up then, um, looking forward to maybe season two of the GPPT. Um, are you, if, if Glasgow goes well, would you consider maybe two stops, maybe branching out to Edinburgh next time? Uh, I'd love to personally. I mean, um, I, I don't know if you. I'm actually a massive fan of Scotland, um, and for anybody who thinks I'm just saying that, uh, I love the A82 that, that, uh, that goes from uh, Glasgow to Inverness, and I have driven it three times. And I was there last week um, after I did the warm up. Uh, sorry, before the warm up, I finished at Newcastle, and I went and I drove up, and I went. To, now, to, excuse me if I get this wrong. Kinloch Leven or Leven? Kinloch Leven. That's where I stayed. Um, and I went skiing in Glencoe. Excellent. And, um, you know, I mean, listen, if there was anywhere else that we... I'd love it I'd love it if we could go right up the top to Inverness or go to <laughs> Sky or anywhere. But Edinburgh is one of the most beautiful cities. So, yeah, I'd be happy, more than happy to, to think I about it. I guess you can see how Glasgow goes. It's a big test. And then, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. And do you know what? Secretly, I do think we're going to smash it. I think it's going to be a fantastic turnout. And I'm, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. I think there's certainly a lot of excitement around the, the poker community. People are up for it the, the, i think the hype's starting to kick in and uh, yeah. yeah people are really looking forward to it i also, also just want to say thank you to, to yourself simon I, I learned how to play poker watching you on late night poker so really? you know there's a generation of poker players it's yourself and it's devilfish and yeah um all those guys that taught us how to play we, we learned the game watching you so thank you very much for that mate we do appreciate hey, it i really appreciate that it's been a it's been a long time and uh, to still be here in the industry albeit in a different position, uh, you know, is, is quite an achievement. It's been 20 years, and I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, and there's a massive amount of respect for you and what you do for the poker community and what you do for us in terms of these massive events and, you know, the f- fantastic offers and guarantees. And, yeah, you're, you're, Thank you. you're very well, well respected. I look forward sir. to uh, hosting it. I'll be there, uh, suit and a boot, and uh, on the mic, welcoming uh, all, the, all the Scottish players. So, I'm desperate, Simon. Would you dress up as a referee so you can do the whole... Hamden thing because you, you've got the look of Pierre Luigi Collini about you. That's the, he's the <laughs> most famous referee, the bald headed yeah. Italian ref. So you and a referee kit. That's that's. That, that, listen, that bring it along that. and I'll put it on. <laughs> okay, it's, it's happening. All right, no worries. Excellent. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, thanks very much, Simon. Thanks, Simon. Uh, appreciate Cheers. your time, and I'll see you in May at Hamden. Cheers. Look forward to it. Cheers, brother. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks a lot to Simon Trumper there for the GPPT preview. That sounds really good. And thanks to our other guests in this episode, Rob Franks, Jack Maskell and the anonymous poker dealer from Glasgow. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you again next time.